That's what we storytellers do. We restore order with imagination. We instill hope again and again and again. Walt Disney. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. Have you ever thought about turning your book into a movie? I have, and I've actually, the latest one I published, I've decided can't be made into a movie because of the nature of language in the story. But I really think my Chroma series would play really well as a film collection. It would. I would really enjoy seeing that one in film. I don't know if I would want to see any of mine in film. Really? Why not? Maybe the one I'm currently working on, because I think there are a lot of elements to it that would be very beautiful, but I just don't think I'm that good of a writer. (laughs) Yeah, or there's a fair amount of spectacle in esports and that kind of thing. We ask this question because the era we're talking about right now has a lot of stage performance, has a lot of communication of your story in large masses for an educational purpose. This went from an individual telling a story to a collaborative effort. Instead of one person sitting down at the keyboard and going, click, 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 here's a story. It became, okay, well, you have this role and you play this role to the best of your ability. I have done a fair amount of stage managing and directing in theater. And a vital part of any production is everyone knowing their individual role and doing that to the best of their ability to tell a collaborative story. In last episode, we talked about the underdog tales, the creation of the internal conflict, and how this became a driving force in getting mass consumption of storytelling. And of course, the use of this idea of mass storytelling would be used to teach. Especially in Europe, churches and nunneries would put on plays to teach congregations about Bible stories. This was a time where the Bible was inaccessible to the layperson. All Bibles were written in Latin, so unless you knew Latin, you couldn't read it yourself. So you relied on the church to teach you these stories. So with this, you get a lot of your parable stories. Here is a story to represent an idea that is usually faith-based or morality-based. I always thought it was fascinating how Jesus was talking to Jews who are culturally very rule-driven and decided to use stories instead of logic to convince them of the point he was trying to make. Almost every time he's making a point, especially a faith-based point, he's using stories to do it. The story of the prodigal son to represent who we are as children of God. In the writing format, this is where we started to get the Canterbury Tales and the Divine Comedy, a collection of story to represent ideas. A lot of the stuff that's been written down is more or less biblical fan fiction. In a way, Paradise Lost has made its way into a lot of the lore but was Milton, it's not biblical. A lot of what we think about Satan and his backstory came from Paradise Lost, not necessarily the Bible. The big impact, of course, of the use of story for education was to teach the layman and convert them. 
seeing is believing in a lot of these cases, literally. But if you look at how you have to put a story together when working with other people, what is the first thing you do when deciding you want to put on a play? You have to write it down. A script is vital to making sure everyone is on the same page. So writing down these stories make it so we now can study them. If I go and try to find the Greek myths, I'm not going to find any source material from that time because everyone just kind of knew. It's a cultural myth that doesn't need to be written down because we all know who Batman is. They started writing stuff down during this era, not for the layman, but for the backstage crew, more or less, in order to make sure everyone was on the same page. And for the distribution of these stories, especially with the Bible, nunneries, monasteries would write the stories down so they could distribute handwritten copies to religious leaders across the country so that they could spread the word about their religion. Going back a little bit in time, most of the plays that you're going to find during the Greco-Roman era were educational myth-based in a way to communicate this is how the pantheon works. And that carried over in order to progress the Christian faith for the next thousand plus years. But there's very little stories of no consequence during this time. There is a moral to the story. There is a reason, a takeaway from every event that you put on. Something you're trying to convince the audience of in some regard. Because most of these stories were educational, especially religiously educational, this was the time of story about how gods did things. They were spending a lot of time answering the big questions. You had a lot of the philosophers during especially the Greco-Roman era, Plato, Aristotle, those guys. And people were starting to ask questions. How did this happen? Why are we here? What's my purpose in life? And these stories were an attempt by humans to answer those questions, often in a faith-based way. So we're going back in this time a little bit to the gods and fate interaction in the storytelling. If you go back from the Catholicism time to the Greek time, where they used storytelling, theater, production as education on their religious beliefs, this is where we get the introduction of the deus ex machina, which we have covered at length in episodes of this podcast. But God's coming down and fixing problems. God's being involved in the story itself. Unlike the Gods and Fate episode we did of the almost prehistory era, gods are a lot farther separated from humans in this era. God is in his place. We are in ours. There's a big difference between, hey, Gilgamesh, can you help me out get rid of some of these pests in my garden, to the gods come down and intervene and save me, and therefore I'm able to conquer the villain and save the day. This separation between gods and humans started around this time in order to make sure gods looked bigger than us, bigger and more important than lowly humans. And 
with theater especially, where you have a cast of people playing different roles, is where we have the introduction of tropes, character stereotypes. We have a hero who does this, a sidekick who does this, a mentor who does this. So we got a little bit of that introduced in the hero's journey, but that led into these tropes and character stereotypes. That's all well and dandy, but what do I do with all of this information now? I'm not writing faith-based by any means. The reason why we keep using religion is because that's how this was used back then. Today, you can still use your writing for education of other things. Nonfiction tends to be a very large category. We don't focus on that as much because we're not nonfiction fans, but it is out there. It exists. It's good to know why you're writing. Are you writing for education or are you writing for art? And even if you are writing that nonfiction education style, there is an incredible power in story. Even in a lot of self-help books and educational type books that you'll pick up, there is a story behind it. You're going to see, this is when I realized I needed help. And then the journey is how they got there. There's a story of the author in order to communicate what they want their audience to be feeling and going through. This is the time of storytelling where they started to really understand communication, especially on a mass level. We can learn a lot from that today. We need to understand how the world communicates in order for us to have stories that people will consume. This also means understanding your medium, understanding the advantages of whatever type of storytelling you're doing. If I tried to make the Madaku anthologies into a film, it would be incredibly difficult. That's not a story that translates well to the screen. But... Toxic and the Gamer Files would translate especially to like a TV show very well. Be open to exploring the different options. This era was mostly theater, mostly still oral communication. This is where we started to begin to write things down for mass consumption of reading. And that's what kind of pushed the printing press and got to where today we have mass production of books. So we will be talking about that in our next episode, which will air Thursday. There is power in every story, but especially in your story. How you write a story will affect you as well as your audiences. Know why you write your story, and then sit down and Write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 